Alright, good morning. Welcome to Wisdom for Dissidents, Session 2. And I'm going to open with... Um, going to open by reading James verses 21 through 26... Uh, sorry, James 2, 21 through 26. Was not Abraham our fa- father justified by works when he, had a, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abram believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, Also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, your work in the book of James, and I thank you for uh, Jeff's work on the book of James in his book. I pray that you would bless us, bless our discussion this morning, um, and be be with me as I try to guide this class and guide our discussions. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so just a couple of notes before we get into the lesson. Um, I'm going to get rid of the outline here soon. We have a memory test on August 5th. That's a couple weeks from now. It was supposed to be next week, but I'm just putting it off. A week so it can uh, be closer to in line with our teachings and that is going to be excuse me moving ahead James 5 uh, verse 7 be patient therefore brethren unto the coming of the Lord behold the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and that long excuse me and hath long patience for it until he received the early in latter rain. Alright, so be ready for that in a couple of weeks and we'll go and I'll go over it again next week. So in our uh, discussion of faith and works, I'm gonna turn so that I'm facing you guys a little better. And can you all see the projector okay? Okay. Uh, just a quick review of a couple of things. A useless excuse me, a useless faith is a faith that bears no fruit. What is that fruit? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? What that fruit would be? What what the fruit of faith faith would be? Or faithfulness? What was that? Yeah, outward following of God's word. Good. Which which is something that's visible to us. And that's that's hard for us to um, it's hard for us to understand in our modern day uh, context because oftentimes we want to say, well, it's just it's just a uh, personal belief in Jesus. It it doesn't have to manifest itself outside outside in works. We don't think that we're justified by works, and and we're not justified by works. We're justified by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but. Through that, you will see, you will be able to see outward signs that somebody is faithful. 
Did you have anything to add? Oh. So reformed people will often interact based on what they know. Mm. And you can easily shift from that to go into a, a works vacuum where you don't do anything with what you know. Mm-hmm. You parade around what you know. Yes, our, our intellectual in, ascent. And, uh, and um, Doug Wilson made a point, uh, I think it was about a year ago, that... He said, the, Lord, the Lord's given us many great books, many great theological uh, tools, and many great conferences. The, the, the Lord's blessed us uh, heavily, but now the, Lord, now the Lord wants us to do something with that. You know, going, going to more conferences isn't the answer. It's certainly a good thing to do, but, but it's not, it's not, that's not what changes the world. No, I, I. Right. Right. I think I think that's very true. Um, if you're, I, I run into a lot of people who they're almost deist in their faith, where where they believe, but it doesn't mean they have to go to church on Sunday. They believe, but you know, does God really require a tithe? Does does God really require you to? And this is a big one for me. Does God really require you to pass your faith on to your children to the next generation? You know, and, and I I would say that there's a serious lack of belief there, if that's where you stand as a Christian. Moving on. Okay, so we're going to talk about the uh, examples of Abram and Rahab in the next couple of slides. Um, But through the examples of Abraham and Rahab, we are shown that true faith means faithful actions. Um, And a couple couple of points I wanted to get across here before we go fully into, I'm going to focus a little more on Rahab. But our works don't impress God. They don't justify us. We are only justified when clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Justified by faith, working through love. We not only believe, but we must act as people who believe. This means that our faith will be shown through active, and I want to emphasize that word, active obedience to God. Um, in this, in verses uh, 25 and 26, I, and this is uh, my last point, we can have some discussion on this, but it's interesting to me specifically that Rahab is mentioned. She righteously deceived. We see in James that her actions were an outworking of her faith, and she was justified. This flies in the face of legalism. And what brought this to mind is... Uh, I've had some discussions with friends, um, 
because I'll, I'll point out that what the what the commandment what the commandment on bearing false witness says is thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. There are times when we can righteously deceive. Now, some people would say, uh, as as humans, we don't see things through God's eye. And some people would say, well, all lies are wicked, just Rahab's lie was less wicked. I've heard that before. All lies are wicked, you know, but telling telling the Nazis that you're not hiding Jews in the back room, that's less wicked. And I would argue that that's actually a righteous act of deception. Oftentimes, man's law is far more tyrannical than God's law. Any other thoughts on this before we move on? Mm-hmm. And he did a word study on the word that we read as faith in our Bible. And he said, if you go back to the Greek, oftentimes that word is a Greek word that means allegiance. And if you think of allegiance, that kind of combines intellectual consent, correct doctrine, correct knowledge of Jesus, but it also combines Uh, that's that's actually a very good point. And uh, when, as soon as you said that word allegiance, it brought me back to this uh, quote by Jeff Myers. He has an excellent illustration, and I think to uh, you guys who have been in military service, it um, you, you'll understand this on a, in a, on a far greater level than even I would. But right here on page 168. For example, a soldier may have faith or trust in his commanding officer, but unless he acts in obedience to his commands, that faith is useless and will not result in his physical salvation when threatened by an enemy. Does that mean he is saved by his actions? Of course not, for he would not know how to act or even survive without his faith in his general. But without action, his faith is worthless and will lead only to his destruction. I thought that was an excellent illustration. Um, but the the thing there is, as, as uh, my dad was pointing out, allegiance. Allegiance. And I'm... I believe I was hitting on that point a couple slides ago when I said if we're, you know, if we're going to claim that Jesus is king, shouldn't we act like he's king? It's a big question that I think uh, we should be asking the Christian world is, you know, is Jesus really king? Not, it's rhetorical. We know the answer. But if he is king, why don't we act like he's king?
we talked about that a little bit last week about how we think we can put God in a box. We think we can put him, you know, over here and he can enter, you know, when I let him in. But he, if he's king over the universe, that means that we're accountable to him in every action that we take, everywhere we go, at work. Are we being godly stewards at work? Are we being godly stewards of our children? Even when mowing the lawn, are we being godly stewards of our yard? Every aspect of our life. Any other thoughts before we move on to the next chapter? Okay. Chapter 8, The Potent Power of the Tongue. James 3, 1 through 18, and I'll read that for you. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that, ye, that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, and this was our uh, Bible verse last week, Behold, we put bits in, in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also ships, which though they be so great and are driven by fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on the on fire, excuse me, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents, it's interesting that serpents made their way in there, and serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not, to be, ought not so to be. Guess I'm not speaking King James so well today. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated fully of mercy in good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown 
in the peace of them that make peace. It's a mouthful. So, one of the main points here, and um, I want to, I want to just reference uh, my father's sermon a couple months ago. I don't know how I don't know how many months ago it was, but he was talking about this power of the tongue and the power of speech, particularly the power of speech among Christians. Um, so, for those of you who remember that, just th- think on that sermon a little bit and uh, keep that in mind. We are the people of the word, so our words have a meaning. Our words should be different. Words bring about a new creation, and that I, that's from uh, my father's sermon. Words bring about a new creation. Words can create hell on earth. Quick reference point for us here. In the chiastic structure, uh, chiastic structure number two, we're at um, the teacher's tongue. So we're at the, the we're at a central point in the book of James, um, and so we're going to find after this, um, because it's a chiastic structure, we're going to find that we're going to go we're going to go back uh, back through a lot of the same points that we made that double witness, if you will. Ooh, wasn't expecting that. <clears throat> this one, this first point, uh, really hit me hard. I uh, one of the one of the things I I tell my wife uh, often, and I even tell some of my friends is, uh, y- you know, I don't like everything Scripture says. I th- I think that's just something we should say. To be honest, that doesn't mean that there's a problem with Scripture. It's a problem with me. When I, when I thought on this, I didn't like uh, what it said. Teachers in the church will be judged with a higher strictness. And it even mentions, and I might have mentioned this in another slide later uh, down the road, but it even mentions that there are few who are called to be teachers. Well, as somebody who's been a teacher in the past and is even teaching a Sunday school right now, I like to think that uh, everybody should be able to teach, right? We, we should be able to, you know, you, you should just want to. And, but we can look at our public school system and see that it's full of people who just wanted to and they went through the system. But these people, when you see what's going on in our culture, these people are the last people in the world who should have been teachers. Their wisdom is foolishness. So teachers will be judged with a higher strictness. As Christians, we have a desire to evangelize and share the gospel. Our approach should be one of humility and great care. Not everyone has a pastoral calling. But with humility, we can serve and disciple those around us, even in ordinary callings. We should see very clearly in the modern day how powerful the ability to yes, I said that right. How powerful the ability to message and use the tongue is. Social media particularly has exacerbated this issue. Um, I see I see oftentimes on uh, social media and it is a wonderful tool. Uh, one person one person who I follow on social media 
who's very good about, um, who's very, just a man who's very good with words is George Grant. I'm always uh, impressed with him, you know, and I see, I see people who disagree with him, you know, you're a jerk, I don't like you, I don't like the things you're saying, you know, but he, George just goes through, speaks with wisdom, says what, says what needs to be said, and he doesn't get involved in these little squabbles. I have seen some people, um, even people that I look up to, get involved in these uh, little squabbles. Even even me myself, um, it's one of those awful things about social media. Um, but what are we creating with our words? Is the big question I have. Something we need to think about. We often think our words are inconsequential, but time and time again, we can see that this is proven wrong. Using the potent power of the tongue is man's first kingly task. It's, we use our tongues to rule. It's one of the interesting thing, uh, things um, my older brother John pointed out to me um, and, and I know oftentimes, oftentimes these days you hear uh, a lot of Christians talking about Tolkien. And one of the interesting things that John pointed out to me about Tolkien is in his, in his novels, The Lord of the Rings, he points out that every, everything that happens started with words. Somebody says something, and that's the true power in the Lord of the Rings. And I thought that was pretty amazing. I don't know if Tolkien did that on purpose, but I, as John and I walked through in that discussion, the things that happen in the Lord of the Rings, the things that Gandalf says, and they come to pass, the things that the elves say, and they come to pass. It was very interesting that by their words, they rule. By saying it, things come to pass. Any other thoughts on that before I move on? Just to affirm what you've already said, I mean, like Claudia, it's the vessel that we use most, most often to commit sin is, is the character and nature of our words, right? I think it's undeniable, as you pointed out, with respect to your dad's sermon, that clearly what the word affirms is that, uh, you know, part of the profound thing about the imaging principle is that uh, our words are potent, as you pointed out. So. We have to be circumspect about what we say, when we say it, how we say it, because it does construct or destruct. And that's just that's the, that's the enormity of, of, of the power of words, and uh, it's how it's how God Himself, it's the foundation of the kingdom. It's the word of truth that we're responsible to both pronounce and perform, and that's how we bring about the fruition of the kingdom. sees that where where a mockery our, our name is as the Bible would say it's a byword among the heathen
Right, I, I understand, uh, I understand that temptation with this Sunday school class. Um, as somebody who has a podcast and a blog, you know, one of the one of the things I started, uh, one of the first things that occurred to me when I started, I decided it was going to be a Christian blogger, was uh, I need to approach this with some humility because, because I don't want to go off and say, say the wrong things. I'm going to be very. Uh, I'm going to be held very accountable if I'm saying things that are not true about Christ and His Word and the people of God. So um, I have to think when I do approach those um, hobbies of mine. I have to think that I'm going. Um, How is I going to say that? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I have to, I have to consider, I have to consider are my, um, that's what it is, I have to consider if my words are being effectual and if they're uh, good for the body of Christ or if they're harmful. It's a temptation we might have, especially out there on social media, to use our words to, to tear down, to get things fired up, to get people angry. Um, we, we especially see that all over our country now in the political sphere, you know, Joe Biden can't go up and talk about his enemies, his political opponents, without, without talking about how evil they are. And we're the same way. We talk about, we talk about how evil they are. One of the things, one of the things that really strikes me is why can't we speak to their heart? And their hearts may be hardened. It may be hard to get to, but it's, it's one of the things that occurred to me um, even, at the, even at the factory. Anybody who's worked in a factory uh, type of environment 
um, will understand that those places can be places where the way to get things done is through um, aggression and through yelling and through angry words. But for me, that's never worked. That's never been my temperament. I'm of a, I'm, I, sometimes I feel like I'm looked down on at the factory because I have a more mild temperament. And those who knew me when I was younger know that that's, I've, I didn't come by that honestly. It's something that I've had to work on. But one of the, th one of the things that really struck me these last couple of weeks is that I've had situations where it's like, you need to get this done. And the way I go to my workers to get it done is I go to them and speak to their heart. You know, do you, do you really want to be the guy who's doing less work? Do you really want to be this type of person? Don't you want success here in the factory? It's a little different than if you don't do this, I'm going to write you up or you'll get fired. Speaking to the heart, something we need to practice. So I'll, I'll get through this slide and then we'll uh, close this down. Uh, I'll also open it up for a discussion if anybody has any other th things to add. So we rule through our words. Our words bring about a new creation, and I can't help but think of um, my dad's example in a sermon of Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is su has such a gift with words, and su he is such a creative uh, mind. He's such a creative thinker. His words bring about a new creation. N now I see it. Uh, if you see even gentlemen like Yuri Brito. Who I believe is a, who I believe is a uh, was a student of James Jordan. You can see in his work, and you can see honestly through these books, the Through New Eyes series, that Jim that are inspired by Jim Jordan, that he's created a new creation. It's changed Christian thought, probably more than we know. The reason why our words bring a new creation is because we speak the truth. Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." We also hear the truth will set you free. We speak the truth. So why do we lose ground? Any? Because we don't speak the truth. I think, uh, who is, you, you mentioned that pastor, uh, uh, Mr. Korea. You mentioned that pastor in, uh, your, in one of your prayers a few weeks ago. I can't remember his name. Robert, Brandon, Brandon Robertson, was it Robertson or Robinson? Brandon Robertson. Um, I, I listened to a, I listened to a podcast with him and Jeff Durbin, and it was very interesting because because he opened it up with uh, no scripture doesn't say that scripture says this scripture doesn't say that you know it doesn't mean that. But everything I heard from this Brandon Robertson character was, have, did God really say that? Did God really say that? And his, his whole point, his whole ministry is, is to get people to say, you know, I, I question this. And, and I'll only take the things I like, which you'll find is very little and has nothing to do with Scripture. And I'll throw out all the things that I don't like and I'll cause you to question it. Uh, 
a lot of coal is going to be heaped on his head when he's before the maker, for sure. Um, are there, I'm going to open it up for discussion now. Are there any last thoughts before we close this down? Dad? Sorry, it's hard to hear. things about uh, James Jordan is that is that someone like me can sit at a table across from him and talk with him and have discussion with him he's he's that humble he he lives this he doesn't doesn't think he's too good to talk to you know so, someone who's possibly less knowledgeable less mature um, really really an amazing man with amazing insight um, one of the as as a Christian, I don't think that I need to be. I I need evidence to believe that the Bible is true. It's just something I believe. But some of the most compelling evidence I've seen that the Bible is absolutely true and infallible is through Jim's work, Jim uh, James Jordan's work, because the the way that he talks about the Bible and you begin to see how everything is just so interconnected and you want to sit there and tell me that men wrote this book i can't believe that that's that's ridiculous um with that final thought i'll close in prayer our heavenly father i thank you for this your word thank you for our discussion today um and i thank you for the work of jeff myers i pray that you would be with us help us to uh, approach your throne room with humility today as we go into covenant renewal uh, worship, I pray that you would help our worship to be vibrant and vigorous. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.